0: DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha, presents Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. Pope Francis, in his encyclical letter, Lumen Fidehi, The Light of Faith, said that Face past, the act of Jesus' love which brought new life to the world, comes down to us through the memory of others, witnesses, and is kept alive in that one remembering subject, which is the Church. The Church is a mother who teaches us to speak the language of faith. In that spirit, this series of conversations with Archbishop Lucas brings the many aspects of the Catholic faith and why it matters, not only to the individual, but also to families, communities, and the world at large. Why it matters. An Exploration of Faith with Archbishop George Lucas. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We now begin with part two of our conversation with Archbishop George Lucas discussing Gaudium et Spes, the pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world.
1: And Gaudium et Spes stresses, again, which what's always been true, stresses the the communitarian nature of our life on this earth, that God has created us not as a bunch of individuals like billiard balls, you know, kind of bump it into each other, that he has created us for himself but also for one another, and that we come to know God and serve God more truly, more fully, when we notice each other and then take notice of our responsibilities to one another, the solidarity that we have as as members of, of the human family.
0: And we'll talk about this, I know, more as we dive even deeper into the document. But just for those who are listening, this is one of the reasons why the church speaks out when it looks at its members throughout the world, given their circumstances, the individuals that are they're found in something that is violating that dignity, whether in different countries or different situations. And it's true, whether it's in a hospital or in a prison. And that can be difficult for us because now we're getting into areas of justice and care for the other. But the church needs to speak out on those things to honor that dignity.
1: Right, the church needs to speak out on it, but then but you and I need to get busy about it, too. Lazarus is at the gate you know, today. So there are people very close to you and, and me who need something that we're able to, to provide. Maybe it's something material, and maybe it's something spiritual, something in the realm of human solidarity, human caring, accompaniment, Pope Francis likes to use that word, that makes it clear to someone who may be struggling that they're not in the struggle alone. As far as we can help it, we're not going to leave them alone. Uh, that goes back to what you, what you were saying before. You know, we, we're, we've been created to be in relationship with one another. And we don't have to uh, to apologize for our interest in matters of justice that have to do with the sick or people in prison or immigrants or other persons because Jesus is is very clear in the Gospel of St. Matthew that this is how we're being judged and that we can't be expected in the end to be identified as his disciples and his friends if we turn our backs on those who are in need. In many places in the Gospel, you know, the Lord makes it clear that it's not only the, the offenses that we would directly commit against somebody else, which are clearly wrong, but also the ignoring, uh, not noticing the needs of those who, who are, again, who are close to us. He doesn't expect us to save the world, any one of us all by ourselves, but he does ask us to, to notice and then to be present, to be available to, be generous with those who are in need. And that comes from, from the sense that we were created by God, but created as part of a human family and that our relationship with God and the relationship with others in the human family are are very uh, closely connected
0: so as this pastoral Constitution comes forward and it feels the need to establish the nature of man the dignity of man that he is body and soul and that that soul is in relationship with the God who created and the, the more that outside that it now is taking on the need to understand what a conscience is. Now that we have this understanding, this awareness, how are we living it out? And it speaks of a correct conscience and also of the law of love, the law that is written in that heart that was created by God.
1: Yeah, I got a very basic understanding of, of our faith and and of our our relationship with God. I'm so blessed, you know, with what I have received from my parents before this document was written when I was a kid, but it was never exactly stated so specifically. But I remember our parents communicated to us very clearly that there's a difference between right and wrong and that you can figure out the difference. And then once you figure out the difference, then you, then you should do the right thing <laughs> and reject the wrong thing. It's uh, clear enough as they were teaching it to us kids, as we speak about conscience, we have the ability from God to understand what's good and right. Sometimes that's an innate ability. We just have a sense of it because it's built into us. In other situations, we have to learn it, which you know we learn in, at home and, and then at school and then as we study our faith and as we pray about the purpose of our life. Again, we're not simply tossed here by God as pieces on a game board or, or something, but created in God's image and likeness with the ability to love and the ability in that sense to, to choose what's really good, particularly as it relates to me, love myself truly, but, the, but then also to love my neighbor. We are equipped to be able to do that. So it, sometimes it's hard, but it's not impossible. And I think the reference to conscience is a reminder of that. You know, God has equipped us to be able to, to do what's good. Or when we mess up, which we inevitably do, sadly, we're able to call ourselves on that and then to regroup and reorient ourselves to what's good, to take responsibility for what we may have done that's, that's wrong or hurtful, and then take a step in a good direction.
0: Having the correct conscience. Because, again, it, just keeping in context, this is a document that is addressing the Church in the world. And so as its members, to have that correct conscience is an imperative. And you know, years later, it would be Pope Benedict XVI that would talk about moral relativism because a lot of times what we think we have the correct conscience or I'm following my conscience, I don't know how else to say it, I fall under that category of a correct conscience.
1: Yeah, and this document reminds us that a Catholic understanding of a correct conscience is big. So, you know, it's not I shouldn't tell lies and I shouldn't steal money, you know, steal $5 if I, if I see it laying around that's clear, I shouldn't do those things. But this document would remind us that a Catholic understanding of choosing to do good and choosing to have a good effect in, in the world is, is bigger than some of these little things that, that we rightly need to pay attention to. The conditions of our brothers and sisters in, our, in the community in which we live and in the wider world in which we live, those things have a claim on our conscience. As I said before, you know, it's not up to me to save the whole world, and I can't turn the whole tide of history all by myself, but... Because of the solidarity that God has planned for us in, in the human family, when we pray and, and think and, and work together in, in important ways, we can have a significant effect on the life of the world and we should. Again, the, the church is in the world not as a bystander, not simply as a commentator on what we see and what's going on, not as uh, scold, you know, telling people to stop doing something and start doing something else. But to bring people together in Christ to the extent that people will want to receive him, but even bring people together around principles that seem to be embedded in the conscience of the of the human person by God so that we can have an influence for good in the modern world. So you know, not just in my own little world, but together that we have an impact more widely.
0: I was struck by this because it seems to emphasize not only is it important, for that correct conscience to serve the world for us, not only for our own well-being, but for our brothers and sisters. But it also is a beacon for those who do not have any understanding or appreciation of that need to care for the good, that they even have a relationship with God who brings us this order. The emphasis of reaching and touching those who may be experiencing an understanding of atheism. Atheism is a big subject within the context of the document, and it describes atheism in so many different contexts. I didn't even appreciate how subtle it can be. I always thought it was just this person doesn't believe in God. And they explain it, it has tentacles that transcend into society.
1: The point is then that we're sent into the world as, as witnesses, and we witness to, to our faith in Jesus Christ and the unique event of, of the coming of Jesus and what that means for us in the world. Uh, we witness that by uh, the way we speak, by the way we relate to others, by the way we pour ourselves out in, in service of, of our brothers and sisters. And in all of those ways, uh, we hope that we can attract others to come to know the Lord. Somebody who's an atheist is loved by God, created in the image and likeness of God, but missing a big part of the truth, which limits their ability to to live and and to flourish in, in the way that, that they have, have been created to live. So that's not a, it's a harsh judgment against anybody. Again, this document reminds us that we look at the atheist and I say, well, who is that person to me? Well, that's my brother or sister in, in the human community, someone created in the image and likeness of God. And if, if there's something that, that I am able to offer, again, by way of example, by way of witness, by way of kindness, by way of listening, trying to understand the, where the person is coming from, that that's my responsibility to try to do that. Then we see where it goes, you know, see what the Holy Spirit does with that. I, again, it's not our role in the church to, to hog-tie people and drag them from darkness and, into light. We respect the integrity and the freedom of, of each other person as we want them to, to respect us.
0: That witness, I think, is what is so compelling about what Gaudi Spes is calling us to. Again, the action has consequences. It can be good and it can also be bad. If we are not living that Christ like life in the world, it will not draw those who need to encounter him. And that can be as powerful as preaching. Mother Teresa, I think, is a great example. She just lived it, and look what it did.
1: Yeah, sometimes more powerful than preaching. It's a different, kind, different way of preaching. It's a way of witnessing. So yeah, actions have consequences, and inaction has consequences, too. So as I said, we're not meant to, to simply be bystanders or commentators on what we see, but to think, how can, have, how can I have an influence? The Lord sends us out as salt and light and wants us to make a difference in just the way that we can't. So individually we can have an impact in, in certain ways but then corporately we can often have a much more powerful impact and there are certain ills in society or difficulties you know that are more properly dealt with in, in a corporate way things that are affecting a lot of people at the same time for example. So we hear over, over and over again that the church is to be in the world for a purpose. We have a, a mission to you know to to preach the gospel but but in preaching the gospel, as Jesus himself has done, and then also has, as he has instructed us to do, we take note of the, of the needs of our of our brothers and sisters, especially those who are particularly burdened. But, but in, in every case, you know, to have a, a respect for each person that we encounter.
0: That whole section, understanding why we're called to bear that witness, it leads us to that great paragraph twenty two in Gaudium et Spes where it really establishes its crystal-centric nature, that Paschal mystery. In Christ, sorrow and death take on meaning. That witness that we may have to bear, our sufferings, are united with his. And it's the whole purpose of the church and its individual members that we're, we're united in that Paschal mystery.
1: And then we give witness to that meaning to the world.
0: An excerpt from Gaudium et Spes, The Pastoral Constitution on the Church in the Modern World. Paragraph 22 The truth is that only in the mystery of the incarnate Word does the mystery of man take on light. For Adam, the first man, was a figure of him who was to come, namely Christ the Lord. Christ, the final Adam, by the revelation of the mystery of the Father and his love, fully reveals man to man himself and makes his supreme calling clear. It is not surprising, then, that in him all the aforementioned truths find their root and attain their crown. He who is the image of the invisible God is himself the perfect man. To the sons of Adam he restores the divine likeness which had been disfigured from the first sin onward. Since human nature as he assumed it was not annulled, by that very fact it has been raised up to a divine dignity in our respect too. For by his incarnation the Son of God has united himself in some fashion with every man. He worked with human hands, he thought with a human mind, acted by human choice, and loved with a human heart. Born of the Virgin Mary, he has truly been made one of us, like us in all things except sin. As an innocent lamb, he merited for us life by the free shedding of his own blood. In him, God reconciled us to himself and among ourselves. From bondage to the devil and sin, he delivered us, so that each one of us can say with the Apostle, Son of God, loved me, and gave himself up for me. By suffering for us, he not only provided us with an example for our imitation, he blazed a trail, and if we follow it, life and death are made holy and take on a new meaning. The Christian man, conformed to the likeness of that son who is the firstborn of many brothers, received the first fruits of the Spirit, by which he becomes capable of discharging the new law of love. Through this Spirit, who is the pledge of our inheritance, the whole man is renewed from within, even to the achievement of the redemption of the body. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the death dwells in you, then he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also bring to life your mortal bodies. Because of His Spirit, who dwells in you, pressing upon the Christian to be sure, are the need and the duty to battle against evil through manifold tribulations and even to suffer death. But linked with the Paschal mystery and patterned on the dying Christ, he will hasten forward to resurrection in the strength which comes from hope. All this holds true, not only for Christians, but for all men of goodwill, in whose hearts grace works in an unseen way. For since Christ died for all men, and since the ultimate vocation of man is in fact one and divine, we ought to believe that the Holy Spirit, in a manner known only to God, offers to every man the possibility of being associated with this Paschal mystery." Such is the mystery of man, and it is a great one, as seen by believers in the light of Christian revelation. Through Christ and in Christ, the riddles of sorrow and death grow meaningful. Apart from his gospel, they overwhelm us. Christ is risen, destroying death by his death. He has lavished life upon us, so that as sons of the Son, we can cry out in the Spirit, Abba, Father.
1: You know, we're struggling right now with how to interpret and live with the effects of some of the arms of the past. So slavery, for example, other kinds of, of discrimination against against various persons or groups in this country and other places in the world. And we can get stuck easily enough in, the, in some kind of circular arguments and concerns about these issues that don't lead us anywhere. In Jesus Christ, we begin to understand who we are in relation to one another. We understand the reality of sin and, and the effect of sin, but we also experience the mystery of the death and resurrection and the power that flows from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that can start us on a on a different path. So we're not just in this in a circle of offense and, and recrimination and not being able really to move forward to continue to grow into the people that god has created us to be
0: isn't that why that establishment of the dignity of the human person but also our transcendent nature body and soul they needed to establish that in the very beginning because our soul united with god along with our whole person united with god the body will suffer whether it's with illness sometimes it's in poverty even the denial of the things that we may want or need, again, it's that back and forth, the joy and the anxiety that men or women that we experience in our everyday. It has a meaning and there's a purpose and it shows us our truest self, doesn't it?
1: We say our suffering or our difficulties have a meaning. We don't say that lightly. We can say that more authentically if we are really committed individually. And, but especially corporately in the church, to being with people in their suffering. So, you know, suffering can be isolating. And if it's experienced only as a crushing burden in isolation, then to say, oh, that has meaning is cruel. We believe that the Lord is with us and that our suffering is redemptive in, in union with, with His death and resurrection. That's just not obvious to us right off the bat. So it is incumbent upon us in the church to live authentically as as disciples of Jesus Christ so that that we can stand up and say that, but in a way that that can be received by someone. It's a mystery. I may not understand it, but these people are going to be with me in it. I'm not going to have to face it alone. And then in the communion of the church or surrounded by by disciples of Jesus, those who understand the mystery of suffering and and redemption— Others can be drawn into that mystery without totally understanding it, but can come to believe it because of the community that surrounds them and is with them, accompanies them in their suffering.
0: For the Christian, then, it's a real call to be who you are. It's not just membership in a club. It's not just belonging to a particular church or a parish or a community that you've chosen. But now you need to realize by virtue of your baptism, by the virtue of your life, you've been incorporated into the mystical body, the body of Christ. And in that, there is that dying and rising. It's almost a a daily. I think if Francis de Sales said it so lovely, live Jesus. You have been transformed in a real way. It's really quite compelling, isn't it?
1: It is, and I don't think we teach it often enough or or teach it powerfully enough. But you're you're absolutely right. And All of the documents of the Second Vatican Council come to this in some way or other. The Church is established by Jesus, and it's animated by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't depend ultimately on me. But when we say, well, how can the Church be holier, or or how can the Church be more service or have more of an impact— in the world in, in which we're living, well, that depends on you and, and me. Uh, the, the church is constituted in a way so that the various members do have an effect on the life of the church, the way the church is experienced by others, the, the attractiveness of the church, the prayerfulness of the church, the charity, the noticing and going out to, to those who are in need. That, that's a mechanism that accomplishes all that. That it, It's a living body of our Savior Jesus Christ made up of you and me and many, many others, the way that the church is experienced in the world depends depends on us. The Holy Spirit, as I said, animating all of it, of course, but when we hear criticisms of the church or when there's a, an impression of the church in the world as, a, as a, a big organization or a kind of a mechanism that just wants to accomplish things for itself, well, how do people get that impression? Because it's really not how the church sees herself. It's not how the church defines herself in these beautiful documents we're falling short somehow. And so the whole purpose of reading and reflecting on these documents of the Second Vatican Council, Gaudium et Spes, this particular one, is so that we don't settle for a minimalistic understanding of the Church ourselves, which then will not have the impact on the world that the Lord intends.
0: Yeah, as the, as a Christian, as Christ in the world today, I mean, it's through him, with him, and in him, in me, I'm called to do very difficult things. You know, when I'm not doing that, I have to repent. I have to ask for mercy. But then I'm also supposed to be like him, and I'm supposed to forgive. I'm supposed to show mercy. I'm supposed to show love. That's the challenge, and that can be very hard when there have been hurts or things that, for man, they're unforgivable. But for God, and through his grace, we allow him to come in, heal, and he offers all of that through the church. I mean, and there's so, and the community, the sacraments, the, the scripture, it's through so much, doesn't he?
1: It, it is. It's all there for us, and then for us to share once we have experienced it. Yeah, You know, we can uh, look at it in sort of a negative way or see where, where, you know, where it's not happening. There are 60 or 70 million people in the United States today that identify as Catholics, that's a lot and I have to say that the certainly the public discourse but when you look at the, at the economy when, when we look at the way that we're failing to deal with the challenge of immigration and refugees the, the way that we're sort of you might say dysfunctional and, and odds in so many ways it's just not evident that there are these millions and millions and millions of people who have, have accepted Jesus As our Savior and and have accepted life in Him as the way that we will live and and try to have an influence on the world around us. So I'm not pointing the finger at anybody else. I'm falling short myself, but it just shows you that simply having a certain number of members in the church and on the roles that doesn't necessarily translate into the the effect on the world that the Lord would desire. This document, gaudium, et spes, other other teachings of the church from the council, but but in other places too, you know, we try to stir up in us the sense that we've got an important mission, and it's not finished, and it's not being accomplished simply by, you know, having our names on the rolls. And again, I don't want to, I don't at all minimize the importance of participating in mass and saying our prayers, attending to the basic connections that keep us rooted in Jesus Christ, but At the end of every Mass is the dismissal of what we're sent out and for the the other six days of the week expected to have have an impact. That's what I invite us as we're, we're studying this document to examine ourselves on and to think what's the unique impact that followers of Jesus should be having.
0: We'll continue our conversation with Archbishop Lucas on Gaudium et Spes, the pastoral constitution, on the church in the modern world in our next episode. You've been listening to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com, or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this program has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to bring authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas.